0: This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International, where registration for this year's annual convention is open. Join us in Toronto for an amazing week of learning, networking, and camaraderie, July 19th to the 21st. Go to destinationsinternational.org to learn more and reserve your spot. And now it's on to today's show. Kerry Wesselin has four decades of experience in the hospitality industry in Alaska and Oregon. The past 25 as president and CEO of Travel Lane County, marketing the Eugene Cascades and Coast region of Oregon. She is a past chair of the Oregon Tourism Commission, the Oregon Tourism and Hospitality Consortium, DMA West, the DMA West Foundation, the Oregon Destination Association, Oregon Track Club, and the Arts and Business Alliance of Eugene. She is currently serving on the Travelability Advisory Board and the Destinations International DMAP Board, along with local boards and committees. She's an outdoor adventurer, arts patron, and consumer of local food and beverages, all experiences that are amazingly abundant in Lane County. Gary Weslin, welcome to DMOU.
1: Thank you, Bill. So happy to be here.
0: You have an amazing year coming up. I mean, Eugene has always been known as Tracktown USA, but there has never been a year like this year. You have the Pac-12 Championships, State Track and Field Championships, the Prefontaine Classic, the NCAAs, the Nike Outdoor Nationals, the U.S. Outdoor Championships, and for the first time in America, the World Games. Now, we were out there with you in 2018 and we were just starting to get kind of a an image of what might be coming. Tell us how this amazing year came together for you.
1: Well, a nonprofit corporation here called Tracktown USA won the bid for the World Athletics Championships in 2015. And it was really a culmination of key factors that included a strong desire by what was then known as IAAF and now is known as World Athletics to bring this event to the United States for the first time. You know, we have the best track and field team in the world year in and year out in terms of the medal count, but this event, which began in 1983, had not yet come to the United States. There was at the same time a really strong desire to reimagine Hayward Field, which is really kind of the mecca for the sport in the U.S. We have many communities that do a fabulous job of hosting premier track events, but there is some special legacy and history here that makes Hayward Field special.
0: Hayward was always a great facility, but if people that are listening in on this call have not seen the new Hayward Field, you need to go online and take a look at this sensational facility that is now in Eugene. It's just amazing.
1: It is truly remarkable. It is the best track and field only facility on the planet right now. I'm sure another will come along to eclipse it, but it is very remarkable, as was historic Hayward Field. And a lot of us, while we absolutely love the new facility and wouldn't go back, we missed that old facility. And we were, we were punching above <laughs> yeah, our weight class right. there for many years. But things came together, and as destinations who host mega events of any kind, No, there are usually key attributes in place in the community, and in this case, there was some really strong personal leadership by Ben LaNana, who was then at the University of Oregon as the Associate Athletic Director and Head Track and Field Coach. And the ethos of the sport here is as much about serving the sport as hosting big events. So because of our history, it's really Each time uh, somebody goes to bid one of these big events, it's about elevating that event, about producing it at a higher level, and by doing that, elevating the sport. And as a community, we're economic beneficiaries of something that's really much bigger. People here are looking out 20, 50 years and more on how to take care of a sport that has vast volumes of youth participants, one of the most participatory sports in the country, and serves all body morphs, it's got a special place in serving kids, but it doesn't have that lucrative financial pathway that some of the other major sports segments have. So what there is in place started right here. I mean, it was Steve Prefontaine and his activism that really was the moment in time that started the movement of track and field athletes getting sponsors, getting financial support. They didn't have it before before so we're just lucky and as a DMO we really don't get to take much credit for getting these events we work really hard to support them and there are some challenges that come with that too in terms of maybe just maintaining that ethos of hospitality not taking things for granted as we work with our hotel sectors across the country and across the world in many instances some of them are more yield driven and are under strong revenue management systems and so we're we're having to work through some of those challenges so we we keep this golden goose you know well tended here in Tracktown. town there are a lot of other communities who who do a great job and who would love to have some of this business and we're working really hard to take good care of it and hold on to it
0: so how did the movement to take a wonderful facility and make it world-class how did that all come together
1: well, we do have a private benefactor of the university that has a special passion around this sport. And there's really been discussions around Hayward Field for a very long time. It was a very historic facility, it was 100 years old. And there weren't even really locker rooms or anything. There were just no appropriate amenities for athletes. And remember, this is a place around human performance innovations, not just apparel and footwear, but The University of Oregon has amazing programs in pushing human performance, and the facility just simply wasn't keeping pace. The new Hayward Field actually has an academic program built right into it that works in tandem with the new billion dollar uh, Nike campus for accelerating scientific impact. And some of the discoveries and innovations coming out will change society for the better, not just within the sport, but really. Uh, just across the human experience.
0: Yeah. And I think that you're being kind by saying that you didn't have a big role in landing these because without a DMO of your caliber, uh, I, I think a lot of these organizations that sponsor these events would be, you know, a little wary of coming to a community that didn't have a DMO of your caliber. But clearly your support is a big part of why that works. I mean, with so many events this year, how do you keep your volunteer base engaged and how do you get a big enough volunteer base to actually do what needs to be done for the world games the ncaas the u.s championships i mean that's a tall order in one year
1: it's amazing and it is a little exhausting (laughs) but we're really fortunate here we have we have one of the country's largest track and field official contingents, so we have a very strong resident population of officials and when you secure a national or international meet you're not making all of the staffing decisions those rights holders and governing bodies are selecting the officials but we're really lucky in that we have a lot here right. and so it makes it all come together more easily and enables us to support a large number of events and then we do have the corporation called Tracktown USA It's really a track and field only focused corporation. It's one of the best teams in the country that produces track and field events. So that assists the university tremendously in spreading out the logistics and oversight of these various events, some of which are collegiate events, some of which are post-collegiate events, some are pre-collegiate events. And uh, so we are we are on the run, but very strong volunteer databases Tracktown has its own database probably has 4000 4500 people who are willing to come and the uh, Oregon 22 LLC formed its own volunteer database and was oversubscribed within days needed about 2,500, 2,800 volunteers, had more than 4,000 people raise their hand from all over the world. Wow. Typically, we'll have volunteers come in from all 50 states for some of these big events, and then we've got to find housing for them. That, that just opens yeah, up right. a whole other array of, <laughs> of things we get to deal with, but it's really wonderful to see the enthusiasm and the, and the collective pride in Hayward Field.
0: That's got to be one of those things that you don't expect is is your volunteers are taking up all of your hotel rooms so the fans from around the world have no place to stay, which kind of gets us to our next question. So your destination is massive in geographic size. It's why you are known not just as Eugene, but as Eugene Cascades and Coast, because you have it all. I mean, you have the mountains, you have the coastline, you've got the university in Eugene. But when so much attention is placed on the city for an event or any of these events like these? The hotels and Hayward Field, how do you serve the surrounding communities in a year like this, or actually in any year?
1: You know, I love this question because it's so interesting, the natural tensions that occur. And when we positioned the destination as Eugene Cascades and Coast back in 2009, it was an intentional way to really leverage Eugene on behalf of the rest of the destination. I think there's only one incorporated Eugene in the United States. And so it helps us right away get to the top of those search engines when anybody's looking for anything to do with Eugene. So we've, we used it in a strategic kind of way, but you bring up a very good point. We have a dozen incorporated communities, most very small. Eugene is the largest. It's just mashed right up against the second largest, which is Springfield. And we generate half of all accommodations revenue. So that means half of all room tax in Eugene and another 27 or 28% in Springfield. So 78% of our room tax revenue is coming through the Metro area where all the infrastructure is. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, our funder is the County and the County ethos is in strong service to the entire 4,700 square miles that we call home and that, that we're the official storytellers for. So we we have challenges and benefits from this. As you know from your visit here in 2018, each of our small communities has a very distinct personality that's super helpful for us and for them. Yeah, And we're working in service to all of those communities all the time. We have a destination development manager full-time position that works on uh, destination development who is out working with all of the communities and their tourism committees and those industry sectors that are active to help them achieve each of their respective goals and it is really the commonality of our destination is this rich and abundant outdoor recreation and then this this wonderful metro area kind of small approachable city right in the middle of it with all these cultural attributes we have a super strong ethos around what we call servant leadership and for us that really is a staff-wide concept in working in service to all of our stakeholders the industry certainly local government and communities for sure residents even each other that ethos really keeps us pretty humble given the context that you and I have each described and any countywide DMO can tell you it's really a constant chase to try and serve such large and diverse areas and it's beneficial because you have so much to work with and it's also challenging because no one city not even our largest city sees us as wholly theirs as their storyteller their DMO we're a kind of a shared and regionalized asset, and that comes with some costs in terms of being able to drive initiatives as strongly as we might, and it comes with some benefits. We certainly are always probably picking a ball up somewhere, and you just have to get comfortable doing that, I believe, even more so in a countywide DMO than in a, at a city-level DMO, where you're really part of the core leadership. There's a single small leadership team and here we're making our formal reports to the Board of County Commissioners, but we're out in front of a dozen councils regularly, keeping them up to date, keeping them connected, but they don't fund us. And without that connection and our proactive reporting, they probably would start to lose connection with us from those those city governmental bodies. So it's a lot of work and it's all
0: a lot of fun. But I think you're you're right in that you know, you have to have that connectivity with these municipalities because they influence the county board.
1: Absolutely. And the county is in service to them.
0: Yeah. While they're not your direct client, if you will, they certainly have an amazing influence. And, and you know, when we were out there in 2018, we just absolutely fell in love with your destination. But we also fell in love with how you were dealing with each one. And And I think at that time, it was really, you know, sending video crews into each community as small as they may be every single one of them had something really really cool going on and you were telling those stories through video and I think it's I'm not saying that this is something that you do to get their support but when you send a video crew into a small town everybody knows you're there and it does say while you're capturing their story for the world that you care about them. And I think that that's a really powerful way to make those connections with, you know, our smaller towns that really need our our support.
1: Yes, and there everybody knows the pride that a, a municipality has. Yeah. And while they all work together collaboratively and really wholeheartedly, sincerely work together, they have their own civic pride and identity, and there is that little underlying competition and sense of tension around you know, watching your neighboring communities and what are they getting done compared to what you're getting done. And you you have to serve those realities and those tensions and tell the positive stories throughout. And and kind of equally, we probably, in reality, we probably, on a day in and day out basis, underserve our largest cities and overserve our smaller ones. But it's all for the good of the order and everybody everybody wins in the end.
0: All right, so for your third question, this is um, a little dicey, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm stunned and amazed, but I don't, I'm not surprised that you chose to talk about it in a forum like this. But the Eugene Emeralds, your semi-pro baseball team, has called your community home for about 70 years. It's a big fixture there. They need a new stadium, and some are looking at room tax as a way to fund some of it. Now, here's the issue. A minor league baseball team is typically an amenity and not a visitor magnet. It's something to do while we're there, but most people are not going to travel to your destination to see the Emeralds. How is your DMO addressing the issue that there's a focus on revenues that really aren't going to impact necessarily uh, the visitor economy, but that it looks like easy money? How are you dealing with that?
1: Very carefully and, <laughs> and sincerely. And we do love our Eugene Emeralds. Of course. The stadium that they're trying to build won't be a huge volume asset. It'll probably maybe have, at the current time, it's looking at about 24, 2,500 fixed seats, expandable for concerts. But the organization is such a great community partner a strong hispanic co-brand they created Caballos los Menarces for the team that's i mean they're just an incredible organization and we love them and we want them to get a stadium and we want them to be able to stay here the irony of the current situation is that maybe four years ago it was definitely pre-pandemic we had a mayor at the time express some political passion around getting an indoor track which if you're familiar with our area and this whole conversation we've been having we have such a steep bell curve driven by our wonderful summer weather and outdoor recreation attributes but also by Hayward field and then fall football and you could just shoot a cannon off through here in january february march which just happens to be the indoor track season and then we have this sort of structural situation around all of the human assets we bring to bear against track and field in the summer but They don't have anything to do in the winter. So we have a lot of issues that just made my heart sing when this former mayor said, hey, let's get this done. And we built a nonprofit cooperatively with members in that community, and that was Springfield, to try and get an indoor track brought to life. And we've been at work at it for a long time. And we just happened to be at one of those rare moments in time, the first time in 25 years, where other communities in Oregon and in the Northwest have raised their room tax rates over time. We haven't raised ours in 25 years. We're just at one of those rare moments where we could we could raise room tax here and we could fund our destiny and fix our challenge as an industry and help the community because as we all know, those visitors spend money in restaurants and retail, not just in hotels and all of those small businesses need extra spending in the middle of winter. And so we raised the idea of a TID to get the indoor track built. And then the mayor had some upsets and was, isn't here. And Vin, our co-conspirator, went to Virginia. So we've had a small group kind of trying to keep this alive. And at the same time comes the M's dilemma where they absolutely must have a new stadium. They've been cohabitating at the university stadium, but they're going to a long season format. It's not going to work. for them to stay there. So we find ourselves in this very uncomfortable position of wanting to realize our own destiny with a generational moment because once the money's tied up against a facility, it's tied up for a long time, 20 years at the minimum. And when I got here 25 years ago, we had just funded a study on convention center space and we've had many studies on convention center space and sports space over the years that shows we can create customer demand if we get something built and we've never had the money to build a huge public project. We're in a very modest place. We, we love that modesty. And so that's the dilemma for us. The decisions that get made, does all the money go to just one project? Do we get more than one project done so that we can keep our M's baseball group and also fix winter? Those are the things we're working through right now In the public process and the county's undergoing a master planning of its fairgrounds and so there is an opportunity for facility development and now it's about how do you get it done what do you get done how do you all play nice and of course we're ringing the bell around this winter challenge it's the first time we've been able to really help ourselves as an industry and yet we also really are sincere in wanting the M's to to get a solution and no matter what you're building it seems it costs 75 million dollars so it doesn't matter how big how small or what the heck it is it everything takes a lot of money in a community that is unlikely to fund a bond even for baseball as i said in the beginning it's not that large a venue so when you've got 380,000 people and you've got a a venue that's accommodating, you know, maybe 3000 of them or or maybe 4000, you're not going to get the community to fund the replacement stadium for the baseball team. So, that's the dilemma. And if any, I'm just hoping that this podcast generates some some calls or emails to yeah. help me find a win-win where we are being good to our baseball group and we're being good to ourselves as an industry and we're helping policy leaders make long-term decisions. That are in both the economic and community's best best interest. And that's that's the dilemma. We've got to be honest about what where we are and what we need to do.
0: And you know, baseball is a sport that really needs to be played outdoors, especially in the glorious summers that you have. But I don't know, can you do a a combo? <laughs> I know people have probably said that. I don't know. But, Yeah, it's... We're going to find out. It's a dilemma. It it really is. And I I, I feel for you on that. But when it comes to very finite resources like room tax, that's where you have to say, ooh, this is a tough decision.
1: It really is. We're just trying to deal with it honestly and respectfully and hope to come out with a win-win.
0: And I know you will because you always do. So thank you very much for that. Time for your bonus round question. You graduated, you tell me, from an alternative high school during the years that Outward Bound was a big thing. And you did a three-week-long backpacking and cross-country ski trip with teachers from your school in Alaska. True backcountry trips that are very far from anywhere with big adventures like Frostbite, which you said you didn't suffer from, but somebody else did, incorrect trail maps because you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere and back then probably no GPS. As a youth that wasn't in any organized sports these trips though built a new foundation for you to kind of work and build your life from and tell us about some of the amazing experiences that you've had because you were pushed to the limit through your education.
1: Yeah it was an extraordinary experience and I you know I came from a good family I didn't have any real excuse for not Uh, making the grade, and I actually was making fine grades at the high school, but I just got a little lost, and I ended up in an alternative program, and lucky for me, there was just this incredible group of teachers there, and they were kind of outdoorsy, and this outward bound thing was a big deal based in Colorado at the time, and everybody was hearing about how it was saving these incorrigible youth, of which I guess I was kind of almost (laughs) one. So I somehow, and I don't even know how I ended up on these out. I'm sure the teachers encouraged me to go, but we did three separate one week trips and they were, I mean, they would take you out in the middle of nowhere. One was in the White Mountains, one in the Pinnell Mountains, and one was a cross country ski trip through Denali National Park on skis for a week with everything on your back. Right. And They were really extraordinary experiences, and so I'm tougher than I look. And I do have this sort of drive in me sometimes that causes me to push myself in a physical way. So I've been lucky to qualify and run the Boston Marathon, which I had absolutely no business doing. Sure, you do. I qualified when I ran my very first. (laughs) marathon <laughs> and I ran it in 2014 so that was a year after the the bombing at Boston and it was just an extraordinary time to experience that incredible event and Boston is rightfully very proud of itself and then when I turned 50 I have a good friend who we're just a little out there compared to most gals our age. So I talked her into hiking the Grand Canyon rim to rim in one day, which as wow. if anybody's done it, you know, you see like a million signs along the way, do not attempt to do this, you are going to die. <laughs> it's kind of funny, really, as you're trekking through the canyon and then out the other side, but it was really physically demanding and extraordinarily, incredibly wonderful. I mean, it was just great. And that has led us into doing a big kind of physical push adventure every year when one of us and we're different ages. So this works out great because almost every other year we a some major excursion. If one of us has a zero or a five in our birthday, then we get to plan something. And one year we went h- to h- hiking in the Alps in Austria. And one year we did cool. the Chilkoot Trail in Alaska. Cool. One year we did the West Coast Trail on Vancouver Island. And so it's a I would think most people who meet me wouldn't really expect that by looking at me. And I'm, I'm getting up there in years now. But really, really appreciate the opportunity to get out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing quite like it when you are truly on your own. Yeah. And then just the physicality that comes with that and just having to be able to run it out and take care of yourself and get yourself out of whatever you're into.
0: What an inspiration. That's just amazing. So, let me ask you this last question before we wrap up today. Do you think it was those experiences back in high school which I mean, these were travel experiences. Did that kind of breed your love for and your interest in the destination marketing and hospitality world?
1: You know, I I don't know. My first hospitality job was washing motor coaches. It was a great summer job. <laughs> And then I, you know, was in fast food and then got my first hotel job. And then when I was in college, I got recruited to go to work for the Fairbanks Convention and Visitors Bureau and had a wonderful woman mentor as the CEO at that time. And within a couple of years, I was recruited to go to Kodiak Island and run that DMO. And there were 1.5 of us. I did every job. I, I, I was in one of those. Laid out the brochures, did the convention pitches, all of it. And fell in love and got married and found myself in Kotzebue, which is in the Arctic. And my mother was born in Nome. And so Kotzebue is about 150 miles north of Nome. So I was super excited to go up there. Completely different world. Worked for Nana Regional Corporation. yeah, And then ended up in Juneau running that DMO before I came to Oregon. So part of it is, I think the DMO work, it is so connected to place. And so maybe you're right, Bill, I had never thought about it. But you really know all the experiences. I mean, I'm not telling your audience anything. We're all in the same kind of work. And we're in it for many reasons. But that glue, that best of where you are, the opportunity to just have positive experiences and help others have positive experiences is super rewarding work. I've loved my career.
0: Oh, it's the best. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for taking time out to tell your story. Congratulations on a 2022 that will be a year to be remembered in Eugene, the Cascade, and the Coast. Thanks, Bill. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for all you do for our industry. And that's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest come to tell their stories. It's DMOU.com. And be sure to subscribe from wherever you pull your podcasts so that you're notified the minute each new episode drops. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International, where registration for this year's annual convention is now open. Join us all in Toronto for an amazing week of learning, networking, and camaraderie, July 19th to the 21st. Go to DestinationsInternational.org to learn more and reserve your spot. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMOPros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.